The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is Jacob Yasser Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's podcast. I would like to introduce our editorial board member, Dr. Nathan Sim of the Section of Pulmonary Critical Care Medicine at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Washington, D.C. He is an assistant professor of medicine at George Washington University and conducts translational research on biomarkers of inflammation and coagulation in ARDS and sepsis. Welcome, Dr. Sim. Thanks, Yasha. Today we're going to discuss a workshop that was recently convened by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, or NHLBI, on idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF. The workshop report, entitled Future Directions in Idiopathic Pulmonary Fibrosis Research, was published in the January 15, 2014, American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. I'm glad to have two of the authors of this workshop report on our podcast today. Let me introduce them to you now. Dr. Jerry Yu is the NIH NHLBI Program Director for Immunology and Fibrosis, and Dr. Tim Blackwell is the Director of the Division of Allergy, Pulmonary, and Critical Care, Professor of Medicine, Ralph and Lulu Owen Chair in Medicine, and Professor of Cell and Developmental Biology, and Professor of Cancer Biology. Let's start the podcast with a question for Dr. Blackwell. Before we discuss the future directions of IPF research, I think it's important to provide some background to our podcast listeners. Since the last NHLBI IPF workshop in 2001, what has changed in regards to therapy and outcome in IPF? Unfortunately, IPF is still a deadly disease with a poor overall prognosis. Median survival after diagnosis continues to be in the range of about three years. There are no proven therapies uh, that modify the course of disease, and so we're not there yet uh, in terms of being able to intervene yet in IPF. Despite these facts, there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, There's been substantial progress over the last decade in a number of areas that were highlighted in the report from our recent workshop. First, our understanding of the biological basis for disease is rapidly expanded. We're developing a nuanced understanding of the important functions of key cells in the lung. These include epithelial cells and fibroblasts that regulate the disease process at a fundamental level. Second, we have an emerging understanding of the genetics and genomics of IPF that's likely to lead to important advances in the very near future. And third, I'd like to highlight the improvement in clinical investigation that has led to our ability to perform high-quality clinical studies, and this has really happened during the last decade. To highlight this advance, an important recent study by the IPF Clinical Research Network, uh, which is an NHLBI-sponsored consortium, recently found that conventional treatment for IPF with prednisone, azathioprine, and N-acetylcysteine was actually harmful, and this has led to discontinuation of this uh, therapeutic approach. Although the agents that have been studied to date in IPF have largely been ineffective, a number of promising therapeutic agents are currently in various stages of clinical development that have biological plausibility to be effective treatments for IPF. 
So, Dr. Yu, as I mentioned, prior to the 2012 workshop, the last NHLBI idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis workshop occurred in 2001. Was there a specific impetus for calling the latest workshop, or was it more of a case that, you know, it's been more than 10 years and a lot of important work, as Dr. Blackwell has alluded to, has occurred? There were several reasons to have this workshop. Uh, an important reason is that we still do not have an effective medical therapy for IPF, although we now know a lot more about this disease, as Dr. Blackwell indicated. And we also have better tools to study the disease than, let's say, 10 years ago. So a goal of this workshop was to define the current gaps in IPF research and figure out how we can overcome them. In this workshop, we focus more on the knowledge gaps more than past accomplishments. And another reason to have the workshop is to promote collaborations among all the stakeholders. It is clear that the enthusiasm among researchers, pharmaceutical companies, patient groups, and NHLBI for IPS research is extremely high. And a more coordinated and cooperative efforts among the stakeholders should help move the field forward. So, Dr. Blackwell, the workshop was organized into six working groups that were each focusing on an important area of pulmonary fibrosis research. I would refer the listeners of the podcast to the workshop report that is published in the January 15, 2014 Blue Journal. Unfortunately, we don't have time in this podcast to discuss all of the findings in the six working groups in depth, so I'd ask you to describe one or two of the most important things you wish to highlight from the workshop report. Each of the working groups summarized important findings related to its specific area and developed a set of recommendations for ongoing investigation. So there are a number of important findings that are highlighted in the workshop report, and I would also uh, recommend that the uh, listeners take a look at that. In the realm of clinical and translational studies, an important finding of the workshop was that there are specific steps that can be taken to further improve our ability to perform clinical and translational studies in IPF. Uh, These steps include establishment of large, well-defined cohorts of patients with longitudinal data as well as biological samples that could be placed in biorepositories. Together, we think that these advances would allow us to define better the natural history of the disease and evaluate functional and biological changes in patients over time. Biorepositories linked to these cohorts would enable investigators to validate new pathways and potential therapeutic targets as they're identified in the future. Coupled with better validation of patient-reported outcomes and biomarkers, these advances would help to improve the design of future clinical trials. Achieving this goal will require a partnership between academia, industry, and the NIH, but we think this is achievable over the next few years. A second important finding of the workshop was that there are numerous opportunities for advancing the science of IPF by taking advantage of emerging information regarding common mechanisms of fibrosing diseases in other organs, the genetics of pulmonary fibrosis, and a variety of different high-throughput approaches, together called omics, uh, which includes things like genomics, proteomics, and metabolomics. And so we think that combining that kind of information will allow rapid advances in this field. Dr. Yu, you mentioned earlier that focusing on knowledge gaps in IPF research was a goal of the workshop. So are there particular findings from the workshop report that are particularly important to you from the NHLBI perspective? 
Well, one of the things that is important to keep in mind is that bed-to-bench research should be emphasized more. I think Dr. Bachwell mentioned that in his comments earlier. Our current animal model for pulmonary fibrosis are probably not a safe bet to ultimately give us an effective medical therapies. So encouraging researchers to collaborate with clinicians and have a, a solid bed-to-bench research type of uh, pipeline should be emphasized more. The other thing that's clear from the workshop summary is that going forward, we need more innovative new tools and creative approaches to uncover the pathogenesis of IPF. In other words, we cannot keep doing the same thing over and over again. I think this is uh, one of the uh, major points in the IPF workshop summary. There are many new tools, new approaches that were discussed during the workshop, and hopefully these approaches will also give us novel information that we can translate into patient care. Dr. Yu, uh, I'd like to follow up on that. You mentioned the disappointment of uh, lack of some of the preclinical modeling coming up with developing successful IPF treatments and that that has not occurred. And the importance of bringing the clinicians and the bench researchers together, was there anything that came out of the workshop in terms of incentivizing that practice so hopefully we can get further understanding of pathogenesis and possibly develop novel treatments? I think one of the very gratifying aspects of this uh, workshop is that we were able to bring researchers of different disciplines to come to this workshop. And I think this type of uh, collaboration should be encouraged more in the future. Our current understanding of uh, pulmonary fibrosis has been significantly enhanced by the animal models, but these tools have their limitations. These animal models do not necessarily incorporate some of the clinical information into the modeling, and perhaps that can partly explain why we have not been successful in having an effective medical therapy. I cannot give you any specific recommendation how to do this, but I think the discussions among clinicians, clinical researchers, and our basic scientists have been enhanced by this workshop. Their collaborations that uh, came out of this workshop, I think, will be very, very important in the future. Dr. Blackwell, I'd like to follow up regarding an important issue in all aspects, it seems, of pulmonary and critical care research. The workshop report describes the challenges of disease heterogeneity in limiting the study and treatment of IPF. That One of the challenges, I assume, is that the diagnosis of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis does not require tissue and that may impede the ability to identify specific phenotypes of patients and to have a gold standard from which less invasive biomarkers could be developed. And so given that limitation, did any ideas come out about how researchers can identify specific phenotypes and then obviously make it then that much easier to conduct randomized clinical trials of a more homogeneous patient population? The differential diagnosis of idiopathic interstitial pneumonias, which includes IPF, uh, continues to be a challenge. This is true both in terms of differentiating IPF from other idiopathic interstitial pneumonias, as well as looking at subdividing IPF into groups that have different progression rates or different ways that they change over time. It's possible to diagnose IPF with reasonable certainty using appropriate clinical history, laboratory testing, and characteristic findings on high-resolution CT scanning. 
this is probably best done in a multidisciplinary setting with inputs from clinicians, radiologists, and other disease specialists. That being said, there's still diagnostic uncertainty and lung tissue is still sometimes required. Development of less invasive ways to obtain sufficient amounts of lung tissue for diagnosis would be valuable, and there's been some recent progress in this area. Other possibilities other than obtaining lung tissue would be use of specific biomarkers that subgroup IPF patients into those that are more stable compared to those that might have more rapid progression. We're still not there in terms of that kind of an approach, but there's lots of interest in trying to understand whether that is a feasible way to improve our prognostic ability about IPF in the future. Thanks for that explanation, Dr. Blackwell. Dr. Yu, Dr. Blackwell earlier alluded to the exploding field of omics, and we're talking about trying to identify the phenotypes using biomarkers, and the workshop report specifically described the importance of expanding biorepository efforts in a coordinated fashion to improve the translational research and to, as you alluded to earlier, take us from the bench to the bedside. I guess I'd first ask very simply, is the current infrastructure of IPF research in the United States able to support this recommendation of the workshop report? We still have a lot of work to do in this regard. The current infrastructure for IPF research, such as Lung Tissue Research Consortium and IPFNet, the uh, clinical trial network sponsored by NHLBI, will need significant overhaul or replacement in the future. For example, the Lung Tissue Research Consortium already has collected a lot of lung tissue samples and stored them for future research. Going forward, a biorepository that can provide various cell types uh, such as the alveolar epithelial cell for future studies will be very helpful. Another infrastructure need, such as the large, carefully phenotyped IPF cohorts for outcomes and or for genetic study as well as for specimen repository for biomarker validation studies are currently being discussed among all the stakeholders. That's why I feel that there's quite a bit of work to do ahead. NHLBI will not be able to provide all the infrastructure needs on its own. But if these infrastructure are in place, NHLBI can support the research going forward. So, Dr. Yu, just to follow up, I guess there's consensus that we need to enhance these biorepositories in a thoughtful way. And obviously, as you mentioned, NHLBI cannot support that on its own. So, were there any sort of tangible ideas regarding modifications of this? The infrastructure that are feasible in the next few years going forward? Yes, I think they are tangible and naturally good ideas as to how to move uh, this field forward. I can provide a few examples. In fact, let me just provide one concrete example. There are a lot of uh, prognostic biomarkers that have been described and published, and they all have their merits. And most recently, at last year's ATS, there was a good discussion among stakeholders of IPF research, including pharmaceutical companies and researchers and NHLBI, about how to proceed forward with it. And actually, a lot of good thoughts uh, came out of that meeting, uh, including the, the fact that pharmaceutical companies are very willing to donate their, uh, the specimen they have collected through many clinical trials they have sponsored over the past few years. And the discussion is to standardize the collection for the future clinical trials 
and have a virtual network to store these samples. And with this effort in, in place, it is possible to have NHLBI to provide some infrastructure to help the research going forward. The way to do it would be for the researchers to apply for this type of award and once peer review and judge to be a very important work, then perhaps there could be a uh, biorepository as well as ongoing research to validate these biomarkers. So that's one concrete example that I can put by. Well, thanks for that, Dr. Yu. Uh, Dr. Blackwell, another area that we've touched upon was the disappointment in the negative randomized clinical trials in terms of different potential therapies for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And one thing uh, that was an interesting topic, I thought, in the workshop report, the question is, what is an appropriate primary endpoint in therapy trials? And it seems to be a subject of, of disagreement. Were you able to develop any consensus regarding this? You're right that the most appropriate and feasible endpoints for IPF clinical studies is an area of ongoing debate in the IPF community. This discussion really hinges on whether functional endpoints like changes in force vital capacity are sufficient to demonstrate efficacy in clinical trials and predict whether new therapies for IPF have a substantial beneficial impact on the disease. Most people agree that mortality is the most important endpoint because we want to see therapies that slow the course of the disease and improve survival. But this is problematic because it's very difficult and expensive to do studies that are sufficiently powered to reach a mortality endpoint. In addition, waiting for large studies that have mortality endpoints could delay promising therapies from becoming available for patients. On the other side of the coin, some investigators are concerned that endpoints like forced vital capacity and the six-minute walk test, which are generally correlated with disease progression and poor outcomes, lack evidence to prove that changing these parameters will affect things that we care about, like symptoms, functional status, or mortality. Uh, my own opinion is that this debate won't be fully resolved until we have some proven effective therapy in IPF. At that point, we'll be able to go back and see if changes in the surrogate endpoints correlate closely with more clinically meaningful outcomes. Uh, I'd like to follow up, Dr. Blackwell, just to knowing what's coming down the road. Are you know you'll see in cardiology trials and some of the pulmonary hypertension trials that uh, use of combined endpoints like mortality with another potentially clinically relevant parameter. Do you see that? As we go forward, or do you think it's still going to be mortality as a primary endpoint, hopefully finding a therapy with a mortality benefit and then correlating that with the parameters like six-minute walk and lung function, as you mentioned? That's a really good question because it's relevant to lots of ongoing discussion in, in this area. People have been interested in identifying these combination endpoints for a while, and in IPF, those have been things like disease exacerbation, hospitalization, and mortality. And there's been several studies that uh, explored using these uh, combinations uh, in ways that could help to power studies uh, over just a mortality endpoint alone. I think because of the relatively large effect of the non-mortality endpoints in these combined type studies, 
that it's just difficult to know right now whether that is going to turn out to be an important method of study design. I think most of the current studies are using change in FVC uh, as their primary endpoint because powering for that endpoint is easiest. And there are some other interesting uh, endpoints that people are exploring, like uh, radiographic changes with quantitative CT readings and some other things like that that might turn out uh, to be important ways to design studies of the future. But for right now, we just don't have enough information, and I think that largely is related to the fact that we don't have positive studies with effective therapies that we can then compare these, uh, which would be initially done as secondary uh, outcomes. Dr. Yu, I'd like to ask you what you think is an appropriate timeline to make some tangible progress based on the workshop uh, recommendations, or maybe another way to ask it is, what specific progress do you think is feasible within the next five years? While some of the recommendations are already being implemented, and ideally these recommendations should be implemented as soon as possible, I think it may take up to 10 years rather than five years to implement most of the key recommendations. During this time, no doubt that some of the recommendations will have to be modified. I think in five years, it is feasible that we will have a firm understanding of the key pathway in IPF that leads to alveolar cells demise and myofibroblasts taking over in the alveolar space. I think in five years, we could also have defined most of the genetic determinants of IPF and derive the mechanistic information that we need to understand the pathogenesis of this disease. We could also have many validated uh, biomarkers that we can turn them into useful clinical tools in five years. And Dr. Blackwell, did you have uh, any thoughts regarding specific progress you'd uh, like to see and think is feasible within the next five years? Well, I agree with Jerry. Uh, I think that his comments are, are right on target, although I guess I would also agree with Yogi Bear that it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. But based on the current trajectory of the research in IPF, I expect to see some major advances in the next five years. I think we'll have at least one FDA-approved therapy, and that'll pave the way for additional interest, financial support, and targeted drug development. Along those lines, I believe that we'll be able to develop a better understanding of useful biomarkers and surrogate uh, clinical endpoints once we have information from effective therapeutic studies. From a basic science perspective, the genetics of the sporadic and familial forms of IPF are likely to be much better defined. I think we'll uh, advance our understanding of how epithelial cells and fibroblasts interact in ways that facilitate fibrotic remodeling. It's also likely that new information will emerge regarding the role of extracellular matrix in regulating fibroblast function and driving ongoing fibrosis. Jerry mentioned previously the issues with preclinical modeling, and I think there's some reason to believe that the use of aged mice, which model the onset of IPF in older people, uh, might add new information to help overcome some of the deficiencies of the currently available models. Finally, I think there's a renewed interest in immune and inflammatory mechanisms of fibrosis that I expect will shed new light on this aspect of the, of the disease. Overall, I think there's much work to be done, 
in IPF, but we're fortunate to have many outstanding and dedicated scientists, active and invested advocacy groups, uh, collaborative partners in industry, and supportive leadership at the NHL LBI, which I think uh, overall makes this an exciting time for the field of pulmonary fibrosis. Dr. Blackwell, as we close the podcast, do you have any final thoughts? Well, I would just like to thank you for uh, taking the time to put this podcast together. I think uh, both uh, Jerry uh, and myself, as well as the uh, other participants in this workshop, uh, felt that this was a very uh, important endeavor. Uh, I would also like to thank all the people who participated and worked hard to put this workshop together. Uh, we had uh, group leaders for all the six groups, as well as my co-chair, Andy Tager, who really did an outstanding job trying to pull together people with uh, broad and varied expertise to try and help to address these ongoing questions uh, in the field of pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, our feeling was that this was a great collaborative interaction and that there were many good ideas that came out of this workshop that we hope will make a difference in the future. And finally, I'd like to thank Jerry and the NHLBI for hosting this and for being so supportive of pulmonary fibrosis research. Thank you both for an informative discussion of the workshop report. I encourage our listeners to read the entire NHLBI workshop report entitled Future Directions in IPF Research that was published in the January 15, 2014 American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. A complete archive of the ATS article discussion podcast can be found at thoracic.org. In addition, you can get a free subscription to our podcast by searching in iTunes for American Thoracic Society article discussion. I'm Nitin Seem for the American Thoracic Society.